0: The scripture lesson is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God.
1: Well, the first time I visited London was back in 1998. And on my first trip to the great big city of London, I did all of the things that tourists are supposed to do when you go to London for the first time. I went to the Tower of London and I waited in a long line to see the crown jewels. And I stood next to the statue of Queen Victoria outside of Buckingham Palace and I watched as much as I could see of the changing of the guard. It wasn't easy. There was a big crowd. I did all of the things that tourists are supposed to do. I saw all of the things that a tourist is supposed to see. But on that trip, in that journey, the moment that made the deepest impression on me, the moment that has stayed with me the longest... It was a moment when I saw something that I absolutely did not expect to see. I was standing outside of Westminster Abbey. I was was standing outside of this enormous church, this cathedral, where kings and queens have been crowned and married and buried for a thousand years. And as I was standing outside the church, I looked up above the doors of the church, and I suddenly realized that there, high up on the wall of the church, looking back down at me, was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., Now, he was standing there among a a series of similar statues. I didn't know it at the time, but those statues were brand spanking new. They'd only been there for a few months. It turns out that there had been, for hundreds of years, on the wall of Westminster Abbey, above the doors of the church, there had been this sort of blank space, this empty space. When the church was built, the builders put in pedestals above that door as if they intended to put statues there, but then for some reason, either the contractors ran out of time or they ran out of money. Who knows what happened? and nobody really knows for sure why, but they never put any statues there. And so for hundreds of years, there was just this blank and empty space high up on the wall of Westminster Abbey. But then in the 1990s, they did a great big renovation and restoration project on the church, and at some point during that process, somebody said, you know, this would be a great opportunity for us to finally put some statues in that empty space above the doors. And so they formed a committee and they started kicking around ideas about who they could honor and who they could recognize in that space. They went all the way back through all of English history. They went all the way back through the many centuries of church history. They flipped through the pages of the Bible and they considered kings and queens and saints. And then at some point, somebody said, you know, we could put up statues of the same kings and queens and saints who have got statues of them in every cathedral across all of Europe, or we could use this opportunity to do something really radical, something different from what you would find in any other church in all of Europe. We could use that space to honor and recognize people who have walked in the way of Jesus, people who have lived and died in the last 100 years. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be a fantastic way of saying to the world, saints and martyrs were not just people who lived hundreds of years ago. There are saints alive in the world today, walking in the way of Jesus. Even now, there are martyrs in the world today, giving their lives out of faith in Jesus Even now, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be something if instead of putting up all of the same old kings and queens and saints, we looked to the last hundred years of the church and we honored people who lived and died in the way of Jesus in the 20th century. And so that's what they did. They put up a row of 10 statues they honored. They recognized 10 20th century martyrs, 10 modern martyrs. And I will never forget the moment when I looked up at the wall of that church and I saw Dr. King looking back down at me. In the years since then, I've learned the stories of the other nine people who are honored with statues there on the wall there above the door of Westminster Abbey. And their stories have inspired me. And their lives and their deaths have given me a deeper appreciation of what it means to walk in the way of Jesus. And I hope they're going to do the same for you. Over the course of the next 10 weeks, we are going to hear the 10 stories of the 10 people from all around the world who are honored in that spot above the doors of Westminster Abbey. 10 stories of 10 modern martyrs, people who have lived and died in the way of Jesus in the last 100 years. It's going to be a sermon mega-series that's going to take us all the way up into All Saints Sunday, the very first Sunday in the month of November. And today we're going to begin our journey with the story of of a woman named Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth's story begins like a fairy tale. Elizabeth was born into one of the great royal families of Europe. Her grandmother was Queen Victoria, the same Queen Victoria who's got a statue standing outside of Buckingham Palace. Her other, her other grandparents were kings and queens and dukes and duchesses. And as a young woman, Elizabeth was famous for her beauty and for her charm. And she was courted by all of the most eligible bachelors in all of Europe. Future kings and future emperors came and asked for her hand in marriage. But even as a young woman, Elizabeth demonstrated that she had a mind of her own. And she had this ability to surprise people and defy expectations. And so much to the surprise of all of Europe and much to the frustration of her family, she kept turning down proposal after proposal after proposal. None of the suitors suited her until she met Sergei. Now Sergei was the son of the Tsar. He was the son of the Russian emperor, but that wasn't what attracted Elizabeth to Sergei. What attracted Elizabeth to Sergei was his deep Christian faith. Elizabeth was a deeply devoted Lutheran. Sergei was deeply committed to the Orthodox Church, and she saw in him a seriousness about living out his faith that set him apart from all of the other young men who had come and asked for her hand in marriage. It was that seriousness that led her to finally, finally accept a marriage proposal. Elizabeth and Sergei were married and they moved to Moscow where Sergei was the governor of Moscow. They moved into one of the grandest palaces in all of Russia. But it wasn't long before Elizabeth discovered that living with Sergei was not all fairy tales and glitter and romance. Elizabeth had moved to Russia during a time of deep anti-Semitism, deep and violent anti-Semitism. This was the era of the pogroms. This was the era of mass violence against Jews and mass expulsions of Jews. This was the same historical era that provides the backdrop for the musical, The the Fiddler on the Roof. And Sergei, as the governor of Moscow, gave in to that anti-Semitism. He ordered, as governor of Moscow, he ordered the expulsion of 20,000 Jews from the city of Moscow. Many of them people who had never lived anywhere else but the city of Moscow in their entire lives. He displaced entire neighborhoods and communities and families. Elizabeth was convinced that this was a deep and a terrible sin. And the expulsion of the Jews cast a shadow over their marriage. She was convinced that at some point they were going to reap the pain and the suffering that they had sown. And sure enough, a few years later, as he was riding through the streets of the city, an assassin threw a bomb into Sergei's carriage. He was killed instantly. And Elizabeth's glittering life came crashing to the ground. The fairy tale ended in that moment. Elizabeth, even as a young woman, had demonstrated that she had a mind of her own and she had an ability to surprise people and to confound and defy people's expectations. But nothing she had done as a young woman prepared the world for what Elizabeth did next. After he had been killed, Elizabeth very publicly forgave the man who had killed her husband. She went to the prison where he was imprisoned, and she visited with him and she personally forgave him, and then she begged him to repent of his sins and to also receive God's forgiveness. She even lobbied for him to have a more lenient sentence. And when Sergei's tombstone was unveiled, the world discovered that Elizabeth had had engraved on the tombstone the words that Jesus spoke as he was hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that very public act of forgiveness would have been enough of a Christian witness to keep all of Europe talking for many, many years to come. But Elizabeth wasn't finished. After Sergei had been laid to rest, Elizabeth shocked her family By moving out of her palace, she renounced her palaces and she sold all of her worldly possessions, even right down to her wedding ring. She sold everything she owned in the world and then she took the money that she had raised and she used it to build a convent in the city of Moscow. She built the Martha and Mary Convent, a place where women could come and work and pray for the good of the city. Next to the convent, she built a hospital for the poor of the city. Next to the hospital, she built an orphanage. And then Elizabeth moved into the convent and she took religious vows. She became a nun. And she and the other sisters started serving the poor of the city. Day after day, they would go to the most impoverished neighborhoods in the city. Day after day, they would feed hundreds of people. Day after day, they cared for the sick in the hospital. Elizabeth came to be one of the most recognized and one of the most beloved people in all of Russia. She was famous for her compassion. She was famous for her Christian witness. And it was that very compassion and that very Christian witness that put her life in danger. Elizabeth lived during a very turbulent time in the national history of the Russian people. In 1917, Vladimir Lenin came to power in a bloody and violent revolution. Vladimir Lenin wanted to sweep away the old Russia so a new Russia could be born. He wanted to get rid of all of the old institutions. He wanted to abolish the monarchy. He wanted to do away with the church. And Lenin found that it was easy to turn the people against the emperor. And it was easy to turn the people against the church. All he had to do was say, look at the royal family. Look at how cruel they are. Look at how they abuse their power. Look at how far removed their lives are from the lives of ordinary Russians. It was easy to turn the people against the church. All he had to do was say, look how the bishops live in palaces while ordinary workers struggle to buy a loaf of bread. Look how wealthy the church has become. It was easy to turn the people against the emperor. It was easy to turn the people against the bishops. But Lenin knew that he was never going to be able to turn the people against Elizabeth. At one point he said virtue wearing a crown is a greater enemy to world revolution than a thousand tyrant czars. Elizabeth had to go. And so one night in 1918 a band of soldiers seized Elizabeth and another of the sisters who lived in her convent. They seized some other members of the Russian royal family. They drove them out into the countryside. They took them to a place where there was an abandoned mine. And the soldiers threw their prisoners down the abandoned mineshaft. They had hoped that the fall down the mineshaft would kill them. They listened to see what they could hear down in the mine. And what they heard rising up from deep down at the bottom of that mineshaft was the sound of singing. Elizabeth was leading her friends in singing a hymn. And so the soldiers threw a grenade down the mine. After the explosion, they listened again and they heard that the singing went on. They threw another grenade down the mine, but it couldn't stop the singing. Finally, they threw great piles of wood down the mine, and then they set it on fire, and the soldiers drove away. When the bodies were eventually recovered, it was discovered that Elizabeth hadn't been killed by the grenades. She wasn't killed by the fire. She eventually died of the injuries that she received as she was tumbling down the mine shaft. But before she died, she had torn strips of her own clothing and used it to bandage the wounds of her friends there in the bottom of the mine. Elizabeth's body was taken to Jerusalem, and she was buried on the Mount of Olives, not far from the Garden of Gethsemane. And today, even in Russia, Elizabeth is remembered as a saint. Today, Elizabeth is remembered as one of the few people in all of the history of the Christian faith who had the courage to live out the words of the Apostle Paul that we find in Philippians chapter 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to cling and hold on to, but instead he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became the servant of all. He humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. And therefore God also highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus had a home in the heavens. Jesus had a home far above the troubles and the pain of this world, but he didn't consider that that was something to cling on to. He gave all of that away in order to walk among us. He gave all of that away in order to humble himself and become the servant of all people. Elizabeth lived in palaces had rooms and rooms full of sparkling jewelry, but she didn't consider those as things to hold or cling on to. She let go of privilege. She let go of position. She let go of power in order to become a servant to her community. How many of us would have the courage and the wisdom to humble ourselves in that way? How much of the pain and suffering in this world today is caused by people who are clinging to position, clinging to privilege, holding on to power with everything that they've got, seeking to accumulate more and more power. It was that fear of losing privilege and power that sent the January 6 rioters to attack the U.S. Capitol. It was a desire to accumulate more power that sent Russia into Ukraine. It was a thirsting and a hungering after power that has caused years of turmoil and chaos in Haiti. It is a desire to have power over others, to bend other people to our own will that has caused a deep division even within our own United Methodist Church in recent years. The way of the world is to hold on to power and privilege and position with everything we've got. The way of this world is to react with violence whenever somebody tries to take power and privilege and position away from us. But that is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to empty ourselves in order that God might make us full. The way of Jesus is to humble ourselves in order that God might raise us up. The way of Jesus is to let go of the things of this world in order that we might store up treasures in heaven. The way of Jesus has the power to heal this wounded world. Elizabeth had the courage and the wisdom to walk in the way of Jesus. May God give us the courage and the wisdom to follow where she's led. Let's pray. God, we pray that when we are holding on to power, holding on to privilege, holding on to position with white knuckles, that you would loosen our grip. God, we pray that you would pry our fingers away from the things of this world when we are not willing to let go. That we might discover that the life we receive, the peace we receive, the wholeness we receive in letting go, is far more than anything we ever could have gained by holding on. God, make us faithful like your daughter Elizabeth. Faithful to the ways of Jesus. Give us the courage to live and to die in a way that brings healing to this big, beautiful, glorious creation that you love so deeply. All these things we pray in Jesus. Amen.